as we continue our Global Gospel Awareness Week, we have the um, great privilege of having Reverend Y. Plummer with us this morning. Uh, Reverend Plummer is the coordinator for African American Ministries in the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, the ministry's chief aim is to facilitate the planting of new PCA churches led by African Americans throughout North America, as well as to encourage African Americans to prepare for leadership in the PCA and to assist them in funding their education. Uh, in addition to his position as M&A African American Ministries Coordinator, uh, Reverend Plummer also serves as part-time pastor at New City Fellowship in Chattanooga and is a member of the advisory board at Covenant Theological Seminary. He earned his undergraduate degree from Howard University and has graduate degrees from John Hopkins University and Chesapeake Reformed Theological Seminary. He and his wife Shirley live in Chattanooga and have been involved in the PCA since 1982. Please give a warm Scots welcome to Reverend Y. Plummer. being here. It's my second time, so thank you for inviting me uh, to speak. Um, I am not going to be preaching, which could be a relief for some of you, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to basically be giving you my, my testimony and telling you something about what I do uh, for Mission uh, to North America. As Grant uh, introduced me, my name is Y. Plummer. Uh, y is short for Wynoni, which is a name I've struggled with since I was in elementary school because nobody knows whether it's a girl's name or a boy's name, and then I tried to cut it short to Y, and then, I, then you get the Y jokes. I'm the African-American Ministry Coordinator for Mission North America, which is a PCA agency uh, just like the college and the seminary, etc. And my mission is to help change the face uh, of the PCA. And as some of you may or may not know, there are not that many African Americans in the Presbyterian Church in America. So I affectionately call my job Mission Impossible. There are currently only 55 African Americans at the PCA, which is significantly increased from when I came in in 1981. So how did I end up in the PCA? Well, in 1981, I was going through a difficult time in my life, and although I had a great job at IBM, I was not a happy camper. My dream had always been to get a good job, find the perfect wife, have kids, live in the suburbs with a picket fence around, and live happily ever after, just like I saw on TV. Unfortunately, in 1981, I was divorced, depressed, and looking for another job, thinking that if I could get another job, then I would be happy. My manager at the time, who happened to be a ruling elder in the PCA church in Manassas, Virginia, asked me if I wanted to study the Bible. I thought that was the strangest thing I had ever heard, because I didn't think intelligent people believed in Christianity or the Bible. So I resisted at first. I didn't want to do it. But God continues to have his way. And so eventually I relented and I said, okay, we can have a Bible study, but Jesus is not the only way. If you'll agree to that, he said, I won't agree to that, but you could say this. So every week we would meet in his office after work, and I would say, Jesus is not the only way. Have your Bible study. And he would begin in prayer. 
And I thought it was the creepiest thing to, to be praying. And I would, I would look at the door and make sure nobody was looking in. Even though the door was closed, it was just, it creeped me out to be praying. Every week, I'd come in and say, okay, we have our Bible study. Jesus is not the only way. Jesus is not the only way. Week after we started in September, in November, I was feeling my resistance weakening. And I was journaling at the time, and I can still remember writing, and I don't know why I wrote this way, but I remember writing, I fear that I might become a Christian. Who talks that way? <laughs> but I was slowly losing my resistance, and I was going to become a Christian. I was going to become like those weird people that I didn't like. And so I came in and I said, okay, Jesus is the only way. And he was shocked too. He said, well, I, 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 well, I guess you're a Christian. And we prayed. And I said, okay, I, I know I'm supposed to go to church too, right? So where should I go to church? I, you know, I don't know anything about church. I haven't been to church since I was a kid. Well, he said, you need to go to a good reformed church. I said, I have no idea what that means. Okay, he said, there's one in Reston, Virginia, and it's called Reston Presbyterian Church. So I said, okay, so that Sunday, I went to Reston Presbyterian Church, November 15, 1981. I know you're going, 1981, are you kidding me? My parents weren't even alive then. <laughs> they were meeting in an elementary school. It was a church plant. It was all white. I had kind of gotten accustomed to that working for IBM, being the only minority in the church. But I found the preaching fascinating. I had never heard kind of talking preaching, teaching preaching. See, I had grown up going to church with a much more stylized form of preaching among black preachers. And so I'd never heard somebody kind of talking to you. And I, it was, I, I was fascinated by it. I can remember him continually talking about this meal this meal. And I kept saying, oh man, I hope they have something I can eat. And, and I saw this white thing up front and it was draped and I said, maybe that's a turkey. <laughs> and I found out it was communion. So I had my first communion there in that church. And I can remember thinking, okay, my life is starting all over again. I'm going to have that dream that I wanted. I'm going to meet a, a, a new lady, because I was divorced then, and I'm going to meet somebody. And there was, there was a couple of women in the church who were going to introduce me to their only black friend, who was a woman in his young 30s. But the pastor kept counseling me, saying, if your wife is not remarried, you really need to consider reconciliation with her. I said, there is no way. We struggled for seven years in this marriage, and it's not going to work. I don't want to be married to her. And I bought some books. There was a book by Jay Adams called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, and I bought that to, to make a case that I didn't have to remarry her. But finally, God has his way. You know, God always has his way. And so my heart softening up. I said, okay, I'll at least call her, ask her for forgiveness, because it was my fault. And I called her up, and I told her I was a Christian, and I told, asked her if she would forgive me. And um, I really didn't want to get remarried. And I figured that if she wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't have to do it, because the book said, you know, you shouldn't be equal, unequally yoked. So I said, you're... <laughs> 
you, you, you know I'm a Christian. I would like to consider reconciling, but, but you're not a Christian, are you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Apparently, the divorce, the divorce papers were served to her on her birthday. She received the divorce papers, and it just shocked her. And she became a Christian. She gave her life to Jesus that day. Uh, so we, we dated <laughs> and dated. And six months later, May 23rd, 1982, we got remarried. And we got remarried. <laughs> It was um, right after the worship service. They gave us an incredible wedding. Somebody had made a cake. They gave us an incredible... It was better than our first wedding because we, we, we were Christians now and we knew Jesus and, and it was great. And unfortunately, our personalities don't automatically change just because we become Christians. So it was still hard. And it was, and it was generally my fault and kind of show you how obtuse I was. I took us on our second honeymoon to, or first honeymoon, depending on how you want to look at it, to Ligonier Valley Study Center because I was so in love with Reformed theology. And she sat on a bench and cried the whole time. Sensitive why? But we kept working at it and we grew in the Lord and I just fell in love with Reformed theology. Eventually I became an elder in the church teaching Sunday school, and I was just in love with theology, and I really wanted to go to seminary right away, but it wasn't time. And I was counsel to take it easy, to learn to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And so God, me, God had me continuing at IBM for another nine years where I was discipled and ministered to, and I learned to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And then he finally released me. And I was able to go to Chesapeake Theological Seminary in Baltimore. And I came on staff at the church at Reston as a ruling elder helping the pastor. Went to my first general assembly in 1991. And it was at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. And there weren't very many African Americans in the PCA at that time. I might have been the only one in the room among a couple of thousand uh, teaching and ruling elders uh, sitting there. And I'm sitting in the balcony, I can still remember it, and this white guy made up, he was almost running, and came up to me and sat next to me, and he knew who I was, and he says, how would you like to come to St. Louis with me and plant a church? I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You don't even know me, and you want me to partner with you to plant a church. And he told me his vision of planting a church called New City Fellowship, like the one in Chattanooga, except he was going to do it in St. Louis, and he wanted me to be his partner. I thought that was the greatest idea there was. Guess who didn't think it was a great idea? <laughs> Shirley did not like the idea of moving to St. Louis, and I was mad. And I'm a control freak, and that's what happened in the first marriage. I tried to control everything. I said, we're going to go anyway. Because I'm the man. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> Every Sunday, people would say, I guess you're moving to St. Louis, and Shirley would start crying again. And I said, I, I don't know if I can do this to her. So I tried to get some counsel uh, about uh, our move to St. Louis, and I spoke to a, 
a pastor named Mark Gornick who happened to have started a church called New Song in inner city Baltimore. And he, said, he advised me, he said, well, if your wife hasn't been, is, is not on board with this, I'm not sure it's a good idea because church planting's pretty hard and you probably need to be on the same page with her. But how'd you like to come and preach for me the, uh, next Sunday? No. <laughs> As you can tell, my life is one of continual resistance to what God wants. I didn't want to go back into the inner city, and, and New Song was in the heart of the inner city of Baltimore. Remember the Freddie Gray riots uh, last year? That's, that, that, that was where, that's where Sandtown is. That's where New Song is. And uh, I didn't want to go, but I agreed to go preach that Sunday. So I preached that Sunday, and I could hardly wait to get back in the car. And Mark Gornick approached me, and he said, how would you like to join the staff we would love to have you while you're in seminary, and eventually uh, you could get ordained in the PC. I said, there is no way I'm going to come here. And I went to share the humor with my wife, Shirley, who I knew didn't like the city uh, because I, I grew up in New York City. I knew she didn't, so I went to share the humor with her, and she wasn't laughing. She said, well, I think God could use you in this community. Oh, no, here we go again. So... Okay, Lord, you want me to be here. So I agreed, and I submitted, and we moved into this community of Sandtown um, back in around 90, 92. Eventually, uh, I finished up seminary, got ordained uh, in 95, and co-pasted with a young man named Steve Smallman, Jr. Some of you may know him. Well, as time goes on, I'm, I'm resisting being a pastor because I don't feel like a pastor and I don't feel called to be a pastor. So I decided I'm going to resign, but I'm not going to share it with Shirley because she's going to talk me out of it. And so I talked to Thurman Williams, uh, who happened to be at Chesapeake Theological Seminary at the time, and I said, how would you like to be the pastor of New Song? He said, I would love it. And I said, okay, good. I knew that if I resigned and they were looking for an African-American pastor, there wasn't going to be too many choices. I knew they had to pick him. So I resigned, didn't even tell my wife, and guess who they picked to be the pastor? Thurman Williams became the second pastor of New Song. And I resigned without a job, didn't know what I was going to do, didn't really kick, didn't want to be a pastor, didn't want to be a leader. I just wanted to study theology and teach Sunday school on the side. Meanwhile, Mission to North America had hired uh, an African-American church planter in Atlanta to plant a black church in uh, Atlanta. And the church is called Redemption Fellowship that's in Fayetteville, uh, Georgia to this day. And we had our first African-American convocation in 2000. And all, I think there might have been five to ten of us teaching elders at the time, and we had, a, we had a great conference and great convocation. We thought we had arrived. The movement is here. We're going to get hundreds of African Americans coming into the PCA. Unfortunately, um, that pastor had a moral failing and, and um, was deposed, and they needed somebody to take his place. I am not a leader among African Americans, but you know who they asked to, to uh, take his place? And I became the African-American ministry coordinator against my will again. <laughs> but God has used my 
whatever weakness, my unwillingness for His glory to bring about a movement within the Presbyterian Church in America. My vision from the beginning has always been to see an indigenous reform movement in the African-American community. And that's a vision that was shared with me by with Carl Ellis. When I first came in, in the, in, in, the, in the early 80s, I thought I was the only one. And then there was a there was a bulletin, and I saw the face of Carl, and I said, there's somebody else. I got to meet this guy. And so I arranged to meet with Carl Ellis, and he shared his vision to see an indigenous reform movement, and I've been holding on to that vision ever since. Carl and I share ministry. Carl is at New City Fellowship, and right now uh, he also, he's also with Reform Theological Seminary uh, as a professor and special uh, assistant to... Uh, to the president there, but that's Carl's story. The mission I have can be summed up in, a, in, in an acronym called REACH, R-E-A-C-C-H. I recruit, educate, assess, coach, and help. I recruit and, and help African-American leaders come into the PCA, primarily by going to reform seminaries like Covenant or Reform Theological Seminary and recruiting. The recruiting rate, as you can imagine, is not very fast, so the pipeline's very slow. We're gen I'm generally recruiting one or two a year. I meet them when they enter seminary, and then I track them while they're going through each year. And E is for educate, R-E, and inform churches and presbyteries who wish to minister among people in the changing cultures of North America. I also assess. We have a church planning assessment center, so I assess uh, candidates for church planting, particularly African-Americans. I coach and equip African-American pastors, leaders uh, in the PCA, and I needed something that began with an H, so I said help, encourage pastors and churches involved in cross-cultural ministry. Goal, my goal is to increase the number of African-Americans trained in theological seminaries and coming in to the PCA. And that number has increased since I came in to now 55 so we broke the 1% barrier a few years ago. There's roughly about 4,500 uh, pastors in the, in the PCA. Create internships and apprenticeships with PCA churches. I work with churches to create these internships and place people. Another goal is to find ministry opportunities in PCA churches for African-American leaders and seminary graduates. Uh, help to plant PCA churches and develop ministries that share in the vision. And I hope to see and start uh, campus ministries, particularly at, at historical black colleges. I think we have a great opportunity to develop future leaders and, and even this movement by going to historical black colleges where we can have an RUF ministry. Uh, help PCA churches increase in becoming more accessible to other cultures and help raise funds for leaders. Those are some of, some of our goals. Presently, there are 19 African-American-led churches in the PCA. And if, just for your information, only three of those are majority black churches. There's two in Birmingham and there's one in Atlanta. Most of our churches are majority white congregations, uh, multi-ethnic in, in nature, uh, all over the country, primarily in the southeast. 
We have six mission churches, one in D.C., Richmond, Orlando, Birmingham, uh, West uh, Charlotte. We just planted a church in West uh, Charlotte. And uh, West Palm Beach, we're getting ready to plant a church in West Palm Beach. Early on, uh, if, you, if you were African-American and you wanted to be in the PCA, you had to start a church. But increasingly, many of our churches are hiring African-Americans as associate and assistant pastors. And so there are churches in Baltimore, Dover, Delaware, Chattanooga, St. Louis, Charlotte, and other places. And there's 11 of those that are hiring, that have hired assistant and associate uh, pastors or teaching elders. Presently, we have an RUF presence on, on four campuses, on historical black campuses. One is in Jackson, Mississippi, the very first one, which has a great ministry there. Uh, Alabama A&M in Huntsville, Delaware State in Dover, Delaware, and we just started one in North Carolina, Durham at North Carolina Central. Uh, our African-American pastors are serving all over the country, some in the chaplaincy, some serving in mission organizations like SIM. Uh, the Dean of Students at Covenant Seminary is African-American. Uh, Reform University Fellowship just hired a cross-cultural diversity uh, coordinator, and RUF, uh, as I mentioned earlier, has hired uh, Carl Ellis to, to be part of their faculty. Things are moving. They're not always moving at the pace that I want them to move, uh, but I love to see the Lord work uh, through me as, uh, as, I, as I deal with my inadequacies. God is more than adequate. I think the, one of the most exciting things I, I think to see happen is what God did with the LDR. In classic form, the LDR Leadership Development Resource started in 2011 when a student at Covenant Seminary asked if there was other ways of worshiping other than kind of more classical Presbyterian worship. And I invited him to New City uh, here in Chattanooga, which was, it was going to be one-on-one. -on -one. I love dealing one-on-one, -on -one, being a high introvert. And he said, well, can I bring some of my friends? I said, well, okay, you can bring a couple of friends. And he wanted, so, so the next thing I know, uh, he had brought a bunch of friends, and then Randy Neighbor suggested that we invite others. And before we know, we had a dozen people coming together in 2011 at what was the first LDR, which it didn't have a name at the time. So I thought that was nice, that was over. And then there was a student there named Jamar Tisby who said, you know, this is, this is a great gathering. Could we do this again, maybe in Jackson, Mississippi? I said, okay, well, we did it again in Jackson, Mississippi, grew to 50. Then I got a call from St. Louis from somebody named Mike Higgins who said, I, gotta, uh, I think we ought to do this in, uh, in St. Louis. And there was a great organizer there named Michelle Higgins who pulled it together, and then we had 100. And the thing has grown every year, so that this past year, we always have it Labor Day weekend, uh, we, had, uh, we had probably close to 600 attending this event, this event of reconciliation that gives our African-American leaders, pastors, an opportunity to speak and to communicate and to preach and for us to worship in the idiom or in the fashion in which many African-Americans are accustomed. It's become a family reunion, a gathering, a great event 
which keeps growing each year. I have no idea what's going to happen in 2018, but this is the Lord. This is the Lord's movement. This is not something that I orchestrated. As you can tell from my testimony, this is God's movement. And I've often said that God brought African Americans into the PCA to bless the PCA. He so loved the PCA that he brought African Americans. Praise the Lord. So <laughs> with that, I just want to uh, close us in prayer. That is my story. And that's what God has done and is doing uh, in his church. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God and our King, we thank you for your great work. We thank, thank you for your great work of providence and, and your sovereignty over our lives. We thank you that we are not our, our own, but we have been bought with a price. And although we're not puppets, you somehow work your will through us, giving us autonomy in you. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to be obedient to your word to give you all the praise and the glory. We were made to give you glory. Enable us to live that. To do the works that you have foreordained before the foundation of the world. Enable us, Lord, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that you are at work in us, both to will and to do for your great purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.